I was a youth leader for high school girls, and we were having our obligatory once-per-year sex talk. And being the cool leader that I am, I told them they could ask me anything that they wanted to. One brave girl piped up and said she didn't understand the basic anatomy of how things worked. What should have been an easy question and answer session quickly turned into me with a pen and paper drawing diagrams for a group of 16 and 17 year old church going girls. Damn, Welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, we're the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and then figure out where the heck we go from here. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Caron, and I'm joined, as always, by our co-host, Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Hey, what is up? I'm excited about this uh, spicy topic we have today, aren't you? Yeah, just a bit. The big idea for today is uh, we're going to talk about purity culture, and when we say purity culture... Um, it's the idea of the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book, the True Love Waits rallies, the Silver Ring things. Uh, Eric, what was the roses thing you mentioned last week? Yeah, so this was uh, Matt Chandler talked about it, but it was basically, you know, somebody would pass around a rose throughout youth group. And by the end of the youth, group, like when it got all the way through the audience, it was all beat, beaten up and tattered. And and basically, you know, Matt was making uh uh, making fun of kind of this purity culture of like, because people would stand up there and, and hold the rose up and it would be all wilted and disgusting. And he would say, who would want this? Who would want this rose? It's disgusting. And that's what happens when you go from person to person to person, you know, super healthy. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we taught this. And this, is a, this is a sex topic. We're going to be straight up honest. With you. I mean, it's right. all about that. But we had a Good intentioned, bad results view of how to teach teenagers about sex, dating, marriage, and all the things that go within that. We taught abstinence only, which, I mean, Eric, we both believe that sex was created for one man for one and one woman in one marriage for one life. Correct. That was God's design for sex. But the way we went about teaching that was not the healthiest. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree. And I mean, especially looking back at it now, when you look through the lens of, um, uh, you know, the, the amount of years that it, that we've had to kind of mature and think about it and then really examine what, what were we doing? What were we saying? Or what were we being taught? Or what were we teaching others? And how does that, how does that hold up after you're out of youth group, after you're out of high school, out of college, and now actually in the real world where you're starting to date and create all these relationships? And to be quite honest, I think it causes a lot of trouble after the fact for kind of a temporary uh, behavior modification control um, solution in you know within the youth group setting. And one of the reasons I think this is such an important topic for us to talk about today is because the people listening, I'm assuming our listeners are around the same age as us, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. But what that means is that a lot of the, our listeners have kids. And you're a little further than I am on that path. But the way we were taught about sex and dating is how we're going to teach our kids about sex and dating unless we unlearn the bad things about what that we were taught. So that's part of the the big picture behind this is we want to yeah. make sure that we don't train up another 
generation of kids that go through the same things we went through and have the same questions, the same, the same everything. Cause I mean, the goal is for us to do better than our parents and then for our kids to do better than us. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's two sides to that though, real quick is that, you know, it's obviously going to influence the way that you parent. And so for some people, just like you said, it's going to be like, well, I mean, this is all I know. This is how I've been programmed. And whether I really had time to think about it and process it, I'm going to pass that on because it's, it's in me. Right. But then you have the opposite side where people completely go against it because they go, I'm not going to do to them what was done to me. And they still don't contextualize it in a healthy way. It's just a wholesale uh, dismissal of it. So on the other end, it's like, well, maybe you were raised in a very strict religious background where abstinence only was taught in an unhealthy way. And then now you're going to, you're, you have the mindset with your kids. Like I didn't like that. And so anything goes, I'm not going to police it at all. And, you know, you should uh, try it before you buy it and all the other, um, you know, unhealthy cultural things on the other side of the argument. Yeah. So for those of you who are new with us and it's only the third episode, so that's probably a lot of you. Uh, what makes us a little different is we're not unlearning things just for the sake of tearing it down and uh, walking away from our faith and saying that everything that we learned was bad. Right. We have a different approach. We want to, like we said in the intro, find what was good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where we go from here. So part of that is the format that we go through. And the same thing we're going to do today. The first thing we're going to do, we're probably going to spend more time than normal on this part, is what was bad about purity culture? Where did we go wrong? Once we talk about that a little bit, we're going to talk about what did it get right? What was the good intentions that were underlying these bad approaches? And then we'll figure out what do we do from here? How do we move forward? So I just want you to know, as you listen to this, like this isn't just tearing things down for the sake of tearing things down. It's important for us to learn what went wrong so that we can correct it and move to the future. So Eric, the first place we always start is what was bad about purity culture? Where, and we've got a bunch of things here written down that we want to get to, but the first thing that you pops in your mind, where did we go wrong? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is right off the bat, um, you know, with, with some of the things that I think if I'm being honest and candid, like I experienced and my wife experience was, you know, once you do get married and once like the, all of a sudden now, now it's different, you know? And so you're taught for basically 20 some years that sex equals bad, sex equals sin, sex equals hell, you know, all that sort of stuff. And now magically it's okay. And so for some couples, it takes a long time um, to really work through what intimacy uh, looks like in a healthy manner in a healthy marriage. Yeah. I hope my wife doesn't mind me saying this, but once we got married, um, there was some guilt there that she would experience once we had sex because for the longest time she was taught like most of us that sex is bad. And so the idea of just flipping that switch, once mm -hmm. she had a ring on her finger, um, it was almost impossible to do, even though she enjoyed it. She knew intellectually right. that what she was doing was okay that she had just been programmed to associate sexual things with guilt. Right. And, and I would say, you know, like obviously it would be, it'd be better if we had um, someone from the female perspective share on this, but just to kind of give a perspective that I've heard from other females in this spot is like, they spend so much time being told and taught to protect their purity and protect their virginity, protect these things. So it's a very defensive posture. Right. And now, in anything in life, if you're like, Hey, you got to protect, 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 defend, defend, defend. Hey, now open the floodgates. Like that transition 
I don't know that we have a healthy model for transitioning from from zero to infinity, you know? Yeah, that's that's the hard part. Um, but and while you and I are not females by any means, um, there there was a resource that I have read and listened to. Um, one of the churches in Knoxville, Tennessee has a podcast called uh, the Life Reframed Podcast mm-hmm. at a fellowship church in Knoxville. Um, they had a guest, they did a whole episode on purity culture. They had a guest named Dr. Camden Morgante. She's a, um, a psych, I think it's a clinical psychologist, but she has a website, Dr. Camden, C-A-M-D-E-N. But she is a legit expert on purity culture. Yeah. And she has these five myths that she has written and put together that I think encapsulates both the big picture and the female perspective that I think we can speak to a little bit, hopefully here and do it uh, in a healthy way. But the first myth she talks about is the spiritual barometer myth. And that means that we were taught that the strength of our faith and the authentic authenticness of our relationship with Jesus is dependent on if we're a virgin or not when we get married. Right. Yeah. And I think this is probably going to be a common thread throughout at least this season is talking through like how our actions affect our holiness and how, you know, is there a checklist that God has? He's like, well, sex before marriage, did you curse? Did you have drugs? You know, and like somehow you, your percentage level of being Christian or being accepted by Jesus just goes down with every knock against you as if grace was on a sliding scale instead of it's, it's all there. But we won't yeah, get into yeah. that. That's more of the that's more of the redeeming side. So let's let's move on from that. Sorry. <laughs> so, but I mean this this I the spiritual barometer myth. I mean, I remember thinking about. It. I, I looked around as a guy in college at a Christian college, and I see these guys who are sleeping around, and they're proud of it or whatever, and they end up getting in these serious relationships that lead to marriage. Meanwhile, I've just gotten dumped by the girl I thought I was going to marry, and my life is in a in the crapper. And I'm depressed and all this thing. And I'm like, I've kept myself pure for the most part. Why are they having success in dating and relationships? And I'm not. Are they more spiritual? So there was a lot of guilt that I felt like I wasn't as holy as them, even though they were actively sleeping around before they met their current girlfriend. Right. Well, and think about the the language that we are programmed to use anyway. We talk about it being pure, usually mostly in the sexual connotation, right? Like as if there's nothing else that that purity uh, relates to or holiness, and so even elevating that as if our um, you know our sexual prowess, God cares about it. So He cares about what's between our legs much more than anything else that we do in life. And it's like that's just not healthy. I just started laughing when you were saying that, not because what you said was funny, but because I remembered, <laughs> this is terrible of me. I'm sorry. Do you remember the scene in 40 year old virgin where they're talking about putting something on a pedestal? Yes. yes. That's what we've done in the church. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what we did in youth group. We put mm-hmm. that on the pedestal. Purity is what we're talking about for those of you that have purity. Yes. That's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm a little inappropriate <laughs> at times. You know that. <laughs> Although that would be a fun overdub if someone just overdubbed purity over the other word they use. Say, yeah, you're putting purity on a pedestal, man. <laughs> I might do that to promote this episode. That would be fun. Oh, gosh. Moving on. The second myth that Dr. Camden talks about is the fairy tale myth. And she yeah. says, that's the one if you stay pure, God will give you a fairy tale marriage and a fairy tale spouse. Mm. I think women experience that a lot more than men do. 
Um, we're not taught that as much as guys we're right. taught differently, but, um, there is a lot of shame and guilt in the idea that, Hey, I have kept myself pure. I have avoided these urges that I have inside of me. God, why have you not given me this spouse and this marriage that I was promised when they gave me a, a silver ring and I promised that I would ra- wait on true love. Right. And I think that that, you know, there's a natural, and again, we'll get to what was good about these things, but like, there's a piece of like, because I led student ministry groups and things like that. So I understand like, why, why do we put this across? Well, because it, you have to talk about what's at stake if someone doesn't do something in particular. Right. And so it's like, when you start to think about purity and why would you, why is abstinence important? For a high school student or a, or a junior high student, man, trying to just say, hey, because this is how God designed your relationship, um, there's really nothing at stake there because you don't feel it tangibly until you have a deep abiding relationship with Christ and you understand that. So you have to start in, you know, saying practically what's at stake. Well, your marriage isn't going to be as good. And so on the other hand, you start to say, if you stay pure, then you're going to have a more fulfilling fairy tale type or better or whatever marriage, which, you know, in some respects with less baggage is true, but we tend to lean into where those stakes are and what, you know, what's wrong with it and, and things that, that ultimately we don't provide the proper context to, uh, to help people process that in a healthy way. Yeah. When I was leading student ministry with this in the, in the small group that I had, I had a, um, a group of guys that I led that, um, to this day are still some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, the way I tried to frame that, and we're, we're mixing up our, our process here and our whatever it's going to, but it's, it is what it is. I used to tell the guys that like, the the flip side of this the fairy tale myth was that i remember experiencing on my wedding day seeing nicole walk down the aisle i should have been the happiest person in the world but i felt guilt because i instantly thought of the things i had done with other girls before her mm-hmm. and that to me in my mind was an attack from Satan to remind me of those things to make me feel guilt and shame that that guilt wasn't from Jesus in that moment. Right. And so I wanted my guys to avoid having to feel that it wasn't a promise of a better marriage, but it was a, I wanted them to be able to focus solely on their wife and the things that she can do and not have to worry about these other feelings and thoughts that come from the mistakes that they did make. Yep. But this one, like we're saying, this myth puts the emphasis in the wrong place and that's what becomes so unhealthy because you really just set someone up for an expectation that's just not there. Because uh, I will tell you, for any of you who are married, you you are going to probably say yes and amen to this. For any of you that are not, you don't quite understand. But the there's the myth of the fairy tale. uh, The fairy tale is a myth anyway. It does not matter if you are pure or not. There are going to be problems. You do not have a Prince Charming. There is not like an idyllic marriage that doesn't have issues. So to try and even set someone up. Right. And to try and even set up young girls or young guys to go like, hey, if you never have sex and don't think impure thoughts, then you're going to have a perfect marriage. No, you're not because you're both human and you've got problems anyway outside of the bedroom, let alone inside the bedroom. Yeah, I and mean, we can do a whole other conversation about how. Um, what's the? I'm looking for a word here. I can't find it. The, the chosen one, the um, yeah soulmate. Yeah, your the soulmate. Soul, your, the soulmate doesn't exist. Right. That is a myth made by Hallmark movies. Right. I love the mathematical equation. We you know we need to save that for another one. But you know, just trying to do the math on it is just crazy anyway. 
Yeah. All right. So keeping going, the the third myth from Dr. Camden is the flip switch. And we mentioned this one a minute ago. When you get married, a flip is switched where sex goes from bad and off limits to okay and accepted. Yeah. And that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And I think it's on both sides too, where it's like on from from one partner and, and this doesn't have to be gendered, but in general, the stereotype would be the female gender is like going from, like we talked about protected to now it's open and now you've just got to be okay with it. And there's baggage that goes along with it. But I think also from the guy perspective or whoever is the more, um, you know, has the, I don't know, a higher sexual appetite, so to speak, is like you go from like, okay, we're not having sex to like, oh, everywhere, all the time, no matter what, because we're married now. So let's do it. You know, and it's like those expectations may not be realistic either. Yeah, we we set up the idea. That is, well, what we teach guys is that when you get married, you're going to have sex all the time and it's going to be awesome. Right. And that that sets up a bad expectation. What if your wife has a lower sex drive than you? Right. What if you have a lower sex drive than your wife? You're going right. to like, you're going to feel all sorts of issues with that. Like, am I not mm. enough? Am I not, is there something wrong with me? Yeah, Why don't if, I want to have sex as much as her? Either of you might have physical and actual medical problems that prevent you from doing, you know, like that, that yeah. stuff happens too. There's all sorts of issues that we set up this this wrong expectation. And another issue with guys especially, uh, we are taught to – and this, this is a whole conversation that I think we're going to get to in season two because we could do an entire season on like wrong sex things. Yeah. Wrong sex things. Can we just call it wrong sex things? <laughs> sure. I'm all, I'm all for it. Um, we are taught – not to look at girls, to bounce our eyes, to do yep. all these things so that we can avoid thinking about sex. And now right. all of a sudden it's good, Yep. but yet, and we're supposed to look at our wife in sexual ways. But while we were dating her and while we were engaged to her, we were taught to repress not put ourselves in those situations, to not think about those things, to not right. look at those things. Right. And those things being her boobs. But um, <laughs> now that we are married, those are all allowed and they're celebrated. Yeah. But I've been spent my entire since puberty trying not to do those things. Right. And so I'm it's taken me a little bit. This is my personal story, by the way. It's taking me a little bit to be able to look at things with the right perspective because I tried so hard not to. And I had reprogrammed myself so much that unprogramming and de-learning that and unlearning that took a while. Well, and then also, I mean, I've done premarital counseling, um, you know, for couples that I've, I've officiated weddings for and things like that. And depending on like what curriculum or how you go through the pre-marriage mentoring system, you know, at some point in a healthy curriculum, they ask you to talk about your expectations about sex. And I can always tell the, uh, the people who've been in Christian school forever and had the purity rings and were deep into this purity culture because that conversation, it's awkward anyway, but that conversation is tough to get a real, um, you know, a real dialogue about, because like you said, if you are sitting here going like, okay, uh, especially when you're engaged or just pre-engaged, like, okay, we've got nine, 10 more months, however long before we could finally do this thing. We're in the home stretch, right? Like, uh, gotta, gotta repress, gotta keep the feelings out. And then you've got, which is hard. Right. And then you've got your pastor and literally, sorry, I can't stop making jokes, but you, you've got, you've got like a, uh, um, a pastor saying, okay, hey, uh, guy, girl, what, what are your expectations for sex? Start thinking about it now so that you can talk about it so it's healthy. And then you're just sitting here like, does not compute, does not compute, because like you feel like you can't open the floodgates for those thoughts. Otherwise, something 
detrimental is going to happen and ruin your fairy tale wedding. And we have and we have made that something happening yes. into such a huge deal that when it does happen, there's so much guilt in it. And I honestly barely know anyone who's made it through a serious relationship that did not make quote unquote mistakes between right. the time they started dating and the time they said I do. Yeah, exactly. Which goes into our our next myth too, because that carries a lot of baggage for us. Yep. So myth number four from Dr. Camden is the damaged good myth. It says that number one, if you have premarital sex, you're damaged goods. And number two, you're incomplete and unable to offer anything to your spouse on your wedding day. Okay. So this is where I brought up uh, in our teaser for our last one was uh, we did this thing in youth group one time where it was a uh, post-it note experiment thing. So, um, well, okay. So there's a post-it note and a dollar coin. Let me tell you both of them. So the post-it note was we had, you know, the pastor's wife would stand up there and, uh, because that's when you talk about all the sensitive things, you let the pastor's wife talk about it. And so she's talking about it with, with the pastor on stage, obviously. Um, and then, (laughs) and they have a post-it note and she says, now imagine this is, this is you and your purity or whatever she wanted to say. And every time that you are with someone else and she sticks it to someone's shirt, right? You, you're, you're now stuck and attached to someone else. And then she takes it off and sticks it to someone else, takes it off, sticks it to someone else. And pretty soon, you know, the back of the post-it note gets all linty and dirty and gross. And she says, and then when you, do, when you find that person that God has for you and she sticks it to that person, uh, again, innuendo, sorry about that, sticks it to that person <laughs> and, <laughs> and the post-it note doesn't stick or it falls off or it doesn't stay stuck very well. I'm trying to make the analogy that like your connection isn't going to be as strong. And so, but what that says is like, you are this disgusting, damaged post-it note that that's not going to stick to anybody, which is super unhealthy. Then on the other side, we did this thing, which I thought at the time was like, I was like, oh, this is super cute where everyone got a, got a gold dollar coin. This was like back in the two thousands when the gold dollar coins were coming out and they were novel and everybody thought this is going to replace dollar bills. Uh, but anyway, and everybody got one and said, this is what we want you to do is hold on to this. And this is going to represent something that you can give to your spouse. It's basically your purity. And so on your wedding day, wouldn't it be cool if you were able to pull out a dollar coin and say, I've been holding on to this for X amount of years. Uh, and I want to give this to you because this, you know, this represents my, my purity. But the, the key was if you didn't stay quote unquote pure, you had to turn the dollar coin back in. Like, what? <laughs> anyway, so those are just two examples of, of like what what we do in this thing that, that makes people feel like they're just – like it's, it's doubling down on the damage and like you are you're, – you're not able to be redeemed in this too. Yeah, and it's, it's – oh, your number, the people you've been with somehow disqualifies you from being with someone else. And like right. – we have biblical examples of people whose number were pretty high who God has been able to use for good and great things. Right. So we, I think we cheapen grace mm-hmm. and we, um, we cheapen redemption when we focus so much on that damaged good myth. Mm-hmm. The fifth one, and this is the one that I think is the most unfair right. and unrealistic. And this is the one we'll talk about. We'll do an entire episode on this one at some point. Sure. It's the women as gatekeepers myth. The idea that it's up to girls to stay pure because guys can't help themselves. Girls have to be the gatekeeper. They have to worry about how they dress, how they do everything, where they put themselves, what they do, because if they 
look at a guy wrong or God forbid, show their shoulders or belly button to a guy, he will be overcome with lust and not be able to control himself. Yeah. And this also bleeds into, um, you know, kind of what's going on in our culture now over the last five years or so. And this is super unhealthy. Um, and I even like I was really wondering whether I should say this this line. So, uh, you know, trigger warning for those of you there. But it also leads into kind of that like she was asking for it. What was she yep. wearing? All of those things that are uh, I want to say. And I think you agree that are are toxic and un- unhealthy mindsets because not only is that yeah not only is that women as gatekeepers but it also puts the blame on women in case something happens because quote unquote guys just can't help themselves. And I think so. One of the things that is my one of my biggest regrets in student ministry. I was giving a sex talk as part of a sex series, and. I went for the easy joke. This was back around 2011, 2012, when yoga pants and leggings were first becoming a thing that girls wore in public. And I went for the easy joke of yoga pants are not pants, leggings are not pants, blah, blah, blah. And I I made the comment that for like if Apple advertises iPhones, they're going to get a bunch of nerds to show up because they want the iPhone. And if a girl advertises her body, she's going to have a bunch of guys show up that want her body. And at the time, that was my best thinking. And But it's one of my biggest regrets in sure. ministry for saying that because there's so much nuance there that right. there's some truth in that. But me saying that to 14 to 18-year-old girls as a leader to them in a way that's not a conversation but more of a lecture, mm-hmm. that's just wrong. And I'm sure, I hope there wasn't guilt involved with that from the get-go, even though there were some moms that were leaders who cheered and all, that's a whole different story. But it's not up to women to protect guys. That's letting us off the hook Mm -hmm. and not teaching us to fulfill our biblical mandate, but instead holding girls to a higher standard that they can never or should never be held to. Exactly. Yeah. I love the way you're saying about letting guys off the hook because it just, it just, forward some of those other myths and unhealthy behavior that we were talking about before where it's like now you're you're also you're at one hand letting guys off the hook putting a lot of pressure on women for the um gatekeeper side and the defense side on the other hand for your guys that just want to you know uh that that just want to do the right thing it's also a lot of pressure to be like oh you know it's adding that you're actually elevating and talking about, okay, what you're wearing is not okay. Now guys like, Oh gosh, what is she wearing? Oh, the words are across her chest. Oh, it says such and such across the back of her shorts. Oh no. You know, and it's, and so for the guys that actually across the butt probably is the best. We will agree on that one though. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean like, of course on t-shirts, all of the graphics go right in the middle right there. In fact, uh, that was something that, and one of the churches that I worked at, one of our graphic designers, like for any high school merch that we would make, she was always super conscious about what what graphics were pointing towards the middle of the chest and i love that she brought that up because it was a perspective you know i was like i wasn't even thinking about design but again it is part of this uh you know that speaks into that that what a girl wears specifically um has something to do with you know a guy's ability to uh to do the right thing you know to be a decent human being and there are plenty of other places we went wrong on this, but we try to keep these episodes not Joe Rogan style. Yeah, right. So um, we're already like 20 plus minutes into this. So we're going to move ahead into the things we got right. Yeah. Eric, what was the good intentions that 
went behind these bad approaches? Yeah, so this is this is I think true of a lot of things in youth group is we were trying to control uh, our behavior um, instead of speaking to the heart. And obviously the behavior is important, you know, so your purity is important. And the same thing as we talked about before is that we do want to make sure that you don't have baggage going into your marriage because yeah, if you've had sexual encounters with someone other than your spouse, it can create a separation between you, whether it's a a baggage thing, whether it's a jealousy thing, whether it's just maybe even a trauma thing that you're trying to uncover. Um, there's, there could be that sense of guilt, that shame, that regret, that for me as a as a student ministry pastor, I didn't want my students to feel. Um, also, trying to prevent premarital sex, especially in that like twelve to to eighteen range. Like, I I personally believe that that you're not really emotionally mature enough to handle the physical intimacy uh, that comes with or the emotional intimacy that comes with the physical intimacy of sex. So helping people understand like, hey, these these sorts of behaviors are not going to be healthy for you in the long run, I think is extremely important, let alone what we opened with is that this was God's biblical design for relationships. So it just backs up what we know to be true from Scripture anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important for us to, especially in our culture today, we have to teach what sex is and what God's design for it is. And my belief is one man, one woman for one life. That's right. God's intentions for design or yep. for sex, his design for sex. And we have to teach that. we There is so much baggage that comes with extramarital sex that, or anything with that. There is baggage because yep. God designed sex in such a way that there's such a connection there yep. that anytime you do that in a wrong way, or in a way that's out of his design. I'm not even going to say right or wrong because that, right. there's some shame there. Right. But out of his design, it's going to bring some guilt and some shame. And it opens you up from attacks, from uh, some spiritual attacks negatively about your past, that you're not good enough, you're not pure enough. And we don't want people to experience that. So there were great intentions here. Also, I mean, tangibly, having a baby at 14 years old will impact the rest of your life. Correct. Yeah. And maybe a ge- maybe generations ago when, you know, life expectancy was different and we had an agrarian society and you were actually in your adult relationships by 15, 16, 17, different. But in today in today's structure for society, being in high school or junior high with a child, whether you are male or female, is detriment not detrimental, but it it will create problems for you in the long run. It makes your life harder. Yes. So we've talked about the good intentions. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from here? What? Yeah. How do we make this shift and have a healthier approach to this as we, some of us continue to lead high school and middle school kids right now, yep. but also as we parent and bring up the next generation uh, of hopefully Christ followers in a healthy way? Yeah, I would say, you know, number one is if you are leading high school or junior high students, or if you're a parent and you're getting into that age, um, my recommendation would be to really uh, talk to child development and behaviorists, people like that. Yes, the Bible is this is kind of this is the center of of where we should we should be drawing from our theology and and the things that we know that God wants from us. But at the same time, it doesn't speak into the the mental and emotional development of our kids. And so, like for instance, uh, what you're teaching your two and three year olds about sexuality. Um, is going to be different and have different words than what you would teach a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. So I think the same thing happens with sex. 
And I think it's it's important to, uh, you know, if we're going to talk a lot about behavior, like right now with my eight and nine year old boys, we talk about we don't touch people in bathing suit spots. Now, that seems su- like if I were to tell a high schooler that that probably still applies. But right right yeah. now, they just need to understand your bathing suit area is not a place that you touch someone else. And then as we get older and as the, the conversations move on, we'll talk about why that is, the different aspects of it and things like that. And so to go from behavior modification or behavior control as early child as, as children, um, you know, elementary and, and earlier, that's. Uh, according to the behavioralists and the child development people that I've talked to, that's good. But as you transition into a spot where their brains can start to handle the more emotional sides of it, really digging into why that is and changing your behavior and making it modified as they get older, I think just from an um, extra biblical standpoint, that would be important to help um, us build into what that biblical mandate is. I think one of the things we can also use on that front is science. Yes. There has been so much scientific development over the years of what our body does when we engage in sexual activities. Yes. That not only the the Bible becomes our, or a piece of it that says, God said this, he designed this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, the the Bible said so is not a good enough reason for a 15 year old not to try to go further with his girlfriend. Correct. Uh, it, it's just his hormones are too strong for that. But the the amazing thing is science is showing us that God's design is actually how we were designed. It's right. improving the concept because all the things that our body creates when there are sexual touches and, and items and actions and all those things that we can point to those things and say, hey, your body does this when you do this. Right. And the results of that are this. Mm -hmm. And so you can really give it, give high school kids, probably middle school is probably a little too young for that, but high school and college kids, you can give them the data and the information and show them this isn't just you trying to take away their fun and keep them from getting lucky. This is actually a protective measure so that you can operate at the level that God created you to and not have the issues that your body wasn't designed to handle. Right. And when we start to do this, and I I love that you said like, you know, keeping you from having fun, because when you use the Bible said so, or God says, or even doubling down on that, this was God's design without giving them the heart behind it. Now that becomes subconsciously God or the Bible or church or my youth leader or whatever, they are the obstacle to getting what I want. Right. So now you've set up church, you've set up God, you've set up Bible, Jesus, as an enemy to what your desires are, which is never going to be uh, as successful as if you have uh, God, the Bible coming alongside of someone in their desires. And I would say too, like, I think a lot of parents and a lot of youth leaders are afraid of, um, of validating and empathizing where students are and saying, Hey, this appetite you have is healthy, but just like any appetite, it's healthy when it's directed in the right spot because our appetites are never going to be fully and finally satisfied and our appetites um, can can lead to destruction if we let them go in different directions. Like my appetite for a donut, I just had one this morning. If I let that appetite go for a dozen this morning, that's not going to be good for me, right? So moderating those appetites and pointing them in the right direction, especially when it comes to sex, when it comes to this physical intimacy is very important too. We've got an episode where we'll dive into this more, I think, later this season. But 
we got to put up guardrails instead of roadblocks. Right. And um, I think we put too many roadblocks to where people wanted to beat them down. Yep. And uh, it just wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. But before we go, and we've gone a little longer than we wanted to this week, uh, I want to end this episode the same place we ended the first episode of the season. Okay. Eric, for people who are walking with the shame and the guilt of purity culture, of things that they were taught, what would you say to those people listening to this right now? Man, I just got to tell you that it it is time to search into uh, less of what the Bible says about uh, sexual purity and more into the, what the Bible says about grace. Yes, sexual purity is important. At the same time, you cannot ignore how deep, how wide, how complete grace is for you. And so I think when you're in the mindset of I've gone too far, therefore I'm too far gone, you need to stamp that out admit that to someone, allow them to help walk you through some of the areas where God's grace can cover that for you. Um, you will still have to process the emotional uh, you know, implications of those decisions and those feelings. But I think you need to stand firm in knowing that there is no such thing as too far gone uh, for for God and for someone to um, also love you as well. So for those of you who are thinking, man, I'm not going to be loved by another individual in marriage, that's just categorically not true. And then to also think that I can't be loved and accepted by God is also categorically untrue. And and I just hope that you walk away with that hope and that assurance knowing that. And I would say that you are forgiven. Yes. That God loves you no matter what. Yes. That you are not broken. You yes. are not less than. Yes. And any guy or girl would be lucky to have you, but it also takes some work on yourself personally and emotionally. There will be guilt that comes with this. There will be negative emotions. And while you are forgiven, while you are still chosen and set apart and whole and pure and holy even, you owe it to yourself and to your future spouse not to hold these emotions into yourself. Right. Um, Find a friend, find someone you can look up to that can have these conversations with you so that you can process this guilt and shame because the guilt and shame is not from Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, He does not want you to have that, but it's going to be there, unfortunately. Right. So, this is a, something that doesn't need to happen in the darkness. Uh, once we shine light on the darkness, the darkness can no longer exist. So bring whatever shame and guilt you're feeling out into the open and talk about it with somebody right. so that you can begin to work through it because there is going to be some unlearning there and some work that's going to need to be done. Yeah. And I think that if you think about you know the analogy in John 8 where uh, Jesus catches the woman in adultery, we don't need to go into the theological implications of all of that. But you know when when he finally casts everybody out because they're they drop their stones and they've walked away. Um, I think there's a piece of that where he asks the woman like who who's here to persecute you? Who's here to judge you? And she says no one. And he says neither do I. And I think a lot of times we take the stone upon ourselves and we want to self persecute and we want to try and self punish in ways that God is saying I'm not doing that to you either. So why are you doing that to yourself? So in some ways I think the analogy of like if you are that woman, metaphorically, in the middle there, dropping your own stone and not casting it upon yourself and not punishing yourself for something that that Jesus has already forgiven, I think is important as well. Awesome. So we ended that on a serious note for a really fun episode. 
next week, we're going to be back with another good one. Eric, can you tell people what's coming up next week? Yeah, so uh, next week we're going to talk a little bit about something that maybe for some of our older listeners or uh, listeners who heard this from their parents, if you've ever been to like a CD burning or a CD smashing <laughs> event or uh, if you could only watch Veggie Tales or you had to watch the Christian version of whatever, um, <laughs> then this episode is for you because we're going to be talking about the things that we consider secular, which is such a weird word, and the things that we consider Christian or sacred. Yep, that's coming up next week. But before we get there, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review to the show on whatever podcast platform you choose. Share it with a friend if it helped you out today. And if you have a funny, awkward, or entertaining youth group story that you want to share with us that we could possibly use at the front end of a future episode, email that to hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. That's hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. But that's it for us this week. We hope you have a great week.